um, we've been in the book of Proverbs um, actually since January. Um, and, and last week, Ricky finished up our time in Proverbs. And, and so this morning, we are beginning a new book. If you haven't been with us long, or maybe even this is your first time at Redeemer, um, what our tendency is, is we, we just take a book and we preach through it um, chapter by chapter, working our way through the book, regarding, um, regardless of however many weeks or months it might take us. And so this morning, um, we're going to leave Proverbs behind and be moving back into the New Testament to the book of Philippians. And so if you have a phone um, or a device, you'll be looking at the text or a Bible. You can turn to Philippians. Um, You'll see 1st and 2nd Corinthians are kind of some larger books. And then right after that, you have Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, um, as you are finding it. Um, So just kind of a warning, whenever we do a a first message in a new book, um, there's a, a bit of it that might feel a little bit more like you're in a classroom, a little bit of a lecture as we just kind of set um, the situation, make sure that we're aware of, of all that's going on, make sure we understand the genre of literature that that book is, because scripture is not all um, one genre. We see different genres, whether it's um, historical narrative, whether it's prophecy, whether it's poetry, um, whether it's letters, there's, there's all different types, and we need to understand what it is that we're approaching so that we can best understand how to read it and to grow from it. Um, and so to begin with, we're just going to lay out some, some facts this morning. Um, the letter um, to the Philippians is written by the Apostle Paul, right? And, and Paul is a familiar face in the New Testament, one who has written much of it, um, who had a dramatic uh, salvific rescue by Jesus, um, that he hated the Christians, right? Was, was a Jew of Jews and on his way to persecute and to drag others off to prison. Then Jesus just steps into Paul's life, literally knocks him on his rear end and says, no more, you're mine now. You, you, you belong to me. And he opened Paul's eyes to see the glory of Jesus. And he became not only a believer, but a pastor, a church planner, an apostle, one who would plant churches across the world over the next several decades. That it was just radically, immediately confronted by and saved by Jesus. And so that is who is writing um, this book. Um, It's being written to the church in Philippi. Okay, Um, Philippi is located in modern-day Greece, um, it is, we are reading through um, Acts and Philippians and, and, and getting some more information from Scripture. The area in Scripture is known as Macedonia. And, and so Philippi is a city. It's, it's in a, the plains of Macedonia, which is modern-day Greece. Um, the city was actually named in 356 B.C. Um, um, by the father of Alexander the Great, right? A, a character that you would know from history. Um, his dad named the city, renamed it after himself. It was already a city. He goes in and, and names it after himself. Um, and so it, in the 120s BC, so here we are about a hundred and a little over a hundred years before Jesus, Rome takes control of the area. Um, and it's, it's under their leadership and their involvement. And in 42 BC, and, and this is, this is going to matter to us as we begin to see what's happening in the city of Philippi, there was a pretty major battle that happened with, again, some characters that you would know from history where we have um, Cassius and Brutus um, of Julius Caesar fame or infamy, depending on which side you are in there, um, going up against a, in, in battle with Octavian, who would later become an emperor, and Mark Anthony. 
right? And so these four characters that you've heard from in history have a battle here at Philippi. And Octavian and Mark Anthony and their army wins. And in order to, to honor Philippi and to, and to remember what has happened, they actually made Philippi a Roman colony. And so they, they received honor, they received citizenship, and then they began to repopulate this city in this area to maintain loyalty and allegiance with retired soldiers, right? And so it became known as a very patriotic place as it's being filled with former soldiers. Um, and then, um, but because it's in Greece, it's going to have a huge um, Greco kind of um, influence as well, not just a Roman feel. And because of that, you're going to see a lot more women mentioned as we talk about the city of Philippi in the letter to the Philippians, because women played a more prominent role, not in the Roman culture, but in, in the Greek culture. And so we're going to see that prominent, that even though it has Roman influence, Latin is the official language, that it is still a, a Greek city that now has these expatriates, soldiers living there, that's making a very nationalistic place. This letter is actually going to be written um, probably roughly around the year 62 AD. Um, So we're about 100 years removed from the battle. Um, Somewhere between 60 and 62, Paul is in prison in Rome, and he's writing back um, to the church in Philippi. He had arrived for the first time on his second missionary journey that you can read about in Acts in roughly the year 49, so about 13 years previous. Um, And and we find this story of the start of the church in Philippi in in the book of Acts in chapter 16. Right? As you you go to Acts 16, what had happened was the second missionary journey has begun. Uh, Paul and Barnabas have, have parted ways and gone separate ways. And so Paul has Silas and Timothy and others with him. And they are headed to Galatia and into Asia. And the Holy Spirit tells them, no, that's not what I have for you. And and he forbids them from speaking in Asia. And then in a vision, he tells them, he sees a man from Macedonia asking for him to come. And so they head into Macedonia, land at the port city of Neopolis, and then move up to Philippi, where he will begin to, to minister, where a church will be begun. He will eventually cast um, a demon out of a slave girl, and the owners will start kind of a riot because of this. Paul and Silas will end up in prison in Philippi, and in the midst of being in prison in Philippi, an earthquake comes, um, right, doors are opened, locks and chains are broken, and they remain. And when the jailer runs in, expecting the prisoners to be gone, ready to to kill himself, knowing what will happen to him, and finds that they're all there, that he falls on his knees and says, what must I do to be saved? Right? And so as we'd already seen Lydia, a woman who had come to faith in Acts 16, now we have the Philippian jailer, and he is added to the church. And soon after, Paul and Silas, they leave and head off on their journey. And so now here we are roughly 12 or 13 years later. And he has a deep affection and love for this church. Um, if, if you've read some of Paul's other letters, some of them, the affection's a little less. 
right? There's, there's some turmoil between him and the church. There's some disagreement and there's some arguing and he's, he's throwing his weight around and his authority around. And yet as you read through the book of Philippians, you'll just see absolute just exuberance and joy and affection and friendship. And so what this is, is it's, it's a letter. It's a personal letter from Paul to his friends that make up the church in Philippi. It's written to the body of believers. Um, and what has occurred is because Paul is in prison, they've heard of this. They've sent a delegate, Epaphroditus, right? And he has gone, traveled to Rome with a gift from the church to check on Paul, to give it to him, to take care of him. And now Paul has written this letter that he is going to return with to encourage them, to let them know how he's doing. That There was a lot of back and forth and interaction. In 2 Corinthians 8, I just want you to hear a little bit of how Paul talks about the church here. And so now he's writing to the church in Corinth, which he had a, a little more contentious relationship with. And he says this in verse 1, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, which the church at Philippi would have been one of them. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. In this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Right, that when he talks to directly or talks about, there's just affection that comes out. Um, there is joy that comes out as he refers to the church here. Um, the, this letter is also a little bit different than some of Paul's letters that typically have kind of a singular topic or theme or thread that run throughout and everything is tied back to this theme. Um, this letter is different. Um, this letter is almost like a bunch of mini kind of vignettes or essays that are going to keep pulling back into the life, the work, the value, the worth of Jesus. And he's going to look at several different areas, and all of them will come back to that we need to know Jesus, that we need to follow Jesus, that we need to rightly reflect Jesus in the world, regardless of our circumstances. That, that whether it's about his, his coming, his life, his second coming, his death, his resurrection, that it's all going to be tied back into that. And so as you get some of the, just the particulars of this letter, the question that I think is always good for us to ask is some why here at Redeemer are we doing this letter now? Right? When we have all of Scripture before us to choose from, why are we doing the letter to the Philippians? Let me, let me just kind of run through a few things real quick. One, Paul is writing to a church who's experiencing some opposition. There's some pushback. There's some suffering beginning to take place. It's not like what we saw in Hebrews and, and like we've seen some other letters, but there's, there is some opposition. And it's mostly because they are living in a nationalistic, patriotic place who is saying, you bow your knee to the emperor. You give allegiance to the one who rules. And the church is saying, no, our first allegiance is to the king but not the king you're talking about, to our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And often the emperor would be, they would ask them to call him Lord and Savior, right? And so there is a, just a dramatic headbutting occurring and where the, the community 
is not just your typical Roman community. Like, it is overly patriotic and nationalistic because it's populated, right, by ex-soldiers who are saying, hey, we want you to follow the emperor. We want you to, to follow the, the religion of this place and of this nation. And the church is saying, we can't. That's not who we are. And so there's tension and opposition. A second is this, is that there's not division in the church like we see in some of Paul's letters, but there's some unrest, right? There's some grumbling that's taking place. And this is just a reminder of how personal this letter is because he's actually going to call a couple of the women out by name, right? And so I just want you to imagine, um, you know, right, someone's writing a letter to Redeemer that's meant to be read before the church. And they're like, hey, we're, we love you. We're encouraged by you. Here's what we want for you. Hey, but Paul and Jeremy, you need to get your acts together because I've heard that you're talking about each other. Right? And it wasn't private for me and him. It was told to you. Right? That you also, you've heard a little bit of the rumblings. It's not like they haven't split the church yet. There's not this big division. But where this is going to go if it's not dealt with and addressed is not pretty. And so Paul is going to call a couple of the women out by name and just say, hey, we're going to have to deal with this and work it out. Because it's not division, but it's unrest and it's mumbling and it's grumbling and it's dangerous because we have work to do. And that's going to distract us from where we're going. Another reason why is this letter is just a letter of joy and of encouragement. And it's going to be a letter of joy and encouragement despite circumstances, right? We can already start there because Paul is writing the letter from prison, and yet he is going to be joyous in it. They are facing some unrest and some opposition, and yet he is going to call them to joy. That their circumstances do not trump what we should do in following Jesus. And listen, we are in some trying circumstances right now in our world. We, we see it with, with racial tension. We see it with the, the economy and financial. We see it with health and even just the little bit of just unknown, right? Of like, what exactly is going on, right? And, and then we, we're across the spectrum on how we feel about it, right? As to whether we're angry about it or we're grateful for the change or whether we think it's real or we think it's fake, right? Like that we're all over the place. And yet this letter is going to be a letter of despite your circumstances, There's a calling upon Christians to live a certain way, to make much of Jesus, to be at peace and joyous in all circumstances. And so, church, one of the the, kind of the whys of this letter is it's going to be dealing with overcoming fear and overcoming anxiety, right? Of, Of finding peace that is not shaken by the circumstances of this life in this world. Right, and so do you, do you begin to just kind of feel some of the reason why this letter is good for us? Right, as we have uncertain circumstances, as, as we are called as to who are we going to give our allegiance to? As we're looking for encouragement, as we want to be reminded to not be distracted from the mission that's been given to us. And then just one of the final, and listen, this isn't all of the themes of, of the letter, but one final one that I want us to look at is it's just going to hold Jesus up and say he is beautiful and he is worthy and he is a treasure and everything in your life is going to be affected by him. That everything that is in the world or of the world is in and of Jesus. It, just, it all comes back to him and he doesn't let us run too far from it. It just brings us back. Look at Jesus. 
He's a treasure, and he's worthy, and he's beautiful, and he's good, and he has his impact matters for this life and also for the life to come. So church, I'm calling you to this. All right, so that's enough of an intro. Let's read um, beginning in Philippians 1. Beginning in verse 1, we're going to read the first few verses this morning. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So, so notice just a couple things with me. In verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now in almost all of Paul's letter, um, outside of his letters to the churches in Macedonia, First and Second Thessalonians as well, um, and then Philemon, he's, he calls himself an apostle. He reminds them of his authority. And yet in verse 1, Paul says, servants of Christ Jesus, slaves of Christ Jesus. Why does he not call himself an apostle. He doesn't have to, right? There's no question of his authority. There's this familial friendship where they're, they are already connected. They, they love one another. And so he can just say, listen, I'm a servant of Jesus, right? I'm writing to you. And then look at what he calls them. He just shows humility in this. He says to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Saints. Um, the word for saints is also the word for, for holiness, right? And it's just a reminder that the saints are set apart. They're separate. And he's writing to the church. And listen, I want you, again, to imagine, right? We don't use the word saints a lot. But if I just said, hey, morning saints, right? That there's, there's a part of us that's like, I don't know if I'm a saint, right? Because the way we typically use this word in our, in our common vernaculars, we're, we'll look at someone and say, Oh, she's a saint. He's a saint. And right, and when we say it, it's not always the most positive word. We're, we're saying like, they're really good. And maybe we're a little jealous or we're a little skeptical of how good they are when we refer to someone as a saint. Now listen, maybe you talk about your grandmother and you're like, she's a saint and you mean it fully, right? But when we talk about it, we're saying like, it's their, they've done something. They're a saint. They've accomplished something and they're really good. And yet that's not what Paul means by this. When he says to all the saints, what does he follow it with? In Christ Jesus. Right? It is the difference between religion this morning and the gospel. That sainthood is not something that we aspire to, that we grab onto, that we acquire ourselves through our good behavior. But it is something that is given to us in Christ. That Jesus has lived the life that we were meant to live. Right? When we have fallen short, when we have rebelled, when we have been less than holy, right? That Jesus has stepped in and lived the life that God desired, that we were meant to live. And then he steps in in our place and dies the death that we deserve because of our rebellion, because of our sin. And in his innocence, he 
takes the punishment. And then he proves that he is who he claimed to be, that his promises are true because he's beaten sin and Satan and death and is resurrected once again, right, to walk among us until he ascends to heaven, until the day where he will return for his bride, the church, where he will split the sky and and stop history as we know it. And what he says is, listen, I don't just like you, right? I love you. I like you. I call you son and daughter. And what he does is he takes our filthy works, our filthy righteousness, right? Our rebellion, and he puts his perfection upon us. And he calls us, right, into the family, sons and daughters of the king, co-heirs with Christ, that we become holy, not at the work of our hands, but at the work of Jesus' hands. And so he's simply reminding them of that to all the saints, to all the holy ones, but holy in Christ Jesus. Jesus has done the work who are at Philippi. Right, so he's writing to a specific people in a specific time in a specific place with people that he knows and loves and treasures with specific circumstances. And so church, we could say like to the saints in Pampa in 2020, dealing with all the mess of humanity, right, with all the confusion of our culture, to those who have been called holy, not because of your effort and your deeds and your ability or your grandma's faith, Because of what Jesus has done. That he's made you his. And he has put you in a specific place. In a specific time. To make much of Jesus. Listen there is a part of me. Over the last few weeks. um, Where I'm like we're we're, kind of dealing simultaneously. With the 1919 Spanish flu. And the 1960 civil rights movement. Like at the same time. Like Jesus are you sure. Right like that, that you want me trying to figure some of this out for the, for the people in, in Pampa at Redeemer and thinking, yeah, I don't, I, I think you've made a mistake. And yet he is saying to all of us this morning, I've put you in 2020 in Pampa, in the, in the panhandle to be a reflection of me, to hold up justice, to hold up mercy to be a voice for the oppressed in this place, in this history, in this moment for the glory of God. So Paul has written a letter to the Philippians telling them the same thing. Would we be reminded of that this morning for us as well? To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that grace and peace are not just for those who don't yet know Jesus, that it's, they're given for the church too. That everything that God does towards us has been done out of grace, like it's undeserved merit, right? That he just pours out kindness upon us and that he has put us at peace with himself, put us at peace within ourselves and put us at peace with one another. Because Jesus has satisfied these things. That this is what we are to be walking in is grace and peace. And so then he tells them in verse 3. So when I think of you, when I, have, when I think of someone from, from Philippi in all my remembrances, I do two things. I thank God for you. Right? I tell God, thank you for this church. Thank you for these people. And then in verse 4, and then in my prayers, in every prayer of mine, I pray with joy. So he says, man, when you come to mind, I'm thanking God and I'm praying with joy on your behalf. 
right? We see just the affection that he has. That they, and why? Why does he feel this way? Verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He says, we're on mission together. It's not just because you fed me well, right? It's not just because you were kind to me. It's because you have continued to follow Jesus. You've continued to make much of Jesus in Philippi. Whether I was there or not, you have been faithful and obedient. And so we are on mission to make much of Jesus together. And so I am glad to pray on your behalf to make much of Jesus with you in joy. Look at verse 6 then. Then he tells them this, and I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Now listen, he's writing to a church that has a little bit of mumbling going on. And yet he doesn't say, hey, except for you women who are having an issue, the rest of you, Jesus is still working in you. He says to the saints, to all of you, God's still at work. He's still doing something. Despite the opposition, despite the suffering, despite the unrest, despite the grumbling and the mumbling and the murmuring. He's like, because you have been saved, you've been rescued, you've been justified by Jesus. And he's going to continue the process of making you holy, continue the process of making you look more like Jesus. So church, this morning, I think for some of us, and what an encouragement that we're not expected to be a finished product yet. As you think about maybe the fear that has overtaken you in moments over the last few weeks or the anxiety that has been crippling. As you think about cracks that have been revealed in your marriage because you've spent a lot of time together. As you think about um, how the Lord is slow to anger and yet you're not slow to anger with your kids when you're in the home day after day. Right? As you, as you just begin to think about all that's been revealed over the last couple months. Right, that Jesus doesn't look at you this morning and say, get it together. It's not who he is. But he says he is faithful to continue to work in you into Christ's likeness, into sanctification, into holiness, that he started the work and he is continuing the work and he will see it through right to the day of completion. Right? It is okay that we are not completely okay this morning. We just don't stay there, right? There is a process going on. There is a plan going forth. And listen how he talks about it. He says, it's right for me to feel this way. Why? That he who began, so who began the good work? It's not you. Jesus began the good work. In Acts 16, when Lydia is um, kind of comes upon a prayer meeting outside the city in Philippi, it says, and God opened her heart, right? That she believed because God opened her heart to hear the message that was being shared. Like the be- God begins this good work. He began it in Lydia. He began it in the Philippian jailer. He's begun it in you. And not only did he begin it, but he is continuing it. He has given us one another. One of the gifts that God has given us is the people in this room to help sanctify us, to make us holy, right? To help us have a mirror shown on our sin, to have people to, to repent to, to have people to confess to, to have people to walk with, that he has given us one another, right? That we would continue to become like Christ, that he is continuing the work, And that he will bring it to completion. That Jesus starts it, he continues it, and he finishes it. He's he's good, and he's worthy, and we are in desperate need 
of him. Church, the resurrection matters because Jesus is alive today to continue the work that he has started in us. He's continuing it. You are not a finished product. I am not a finished product. Thanks be to God that he is continuing this in us. So he ends verse 7. So it's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He's telling them, look, I'm in a Roman prison and you're in a Roman colony. Together, we're going to stand in defense and confirmation of the gospel. Church, the way that they lived in Philippi would be a reflection of what the gospel looked like. It would be a reflection of what a saint should look like in the circumstances that they were in so that people would come to faith in Jesus. That specific people came to faith like Lydia, right? Like the Philippian jailer. It wasn't just like people got saved. It was people's names. Church, there are people that you know that are in your family, that are in your businesses, that are in your neighborhoods, that are your friends, that Jesus is going to save that don't yet know him and he is going to open their hearts to believe. Right? He's going to begin a good work in them and continue it and they're not yet a part of the family and they will be. And they'll be called a saint. Right? Not because of what they've done, not because of what's in their past. Listen, Paul had a horrible past and Jesus rescues him and makes him a saint. That it doesn't matter what is in our past. When Jesus calls us a saint, that is our identity. That's who we are moving forward. That he would do a specific work in this specific church with specific people, bringing about specific fruit to look more like Jesus. That we would walk in sainthood, not beating our chest, but in humility, holding forth the treasure we found in Jesus, making much of him, having peace despite our circumstances, having fearlessness despite our circumstances, having joy despite our circumstances in Christ. In Philippians 3, one of the the beautiful arguments and beautiful examples that, that Paul gives is he says, listen, we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. He's contrasting that with the citizenship of Rome, saying, but we were called to something else. That this place is not our home, but we're headed to our home. And so we don't put down roots, but we're on mission until we get to where we belong. Church, he is calling us to, to walk as citizens of heaven. Loving, joyful, fearless. Because of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to do over the next several weeks. Is We're going to look at this letter, look at what Paul calls them to do in the midst of suffering and circumstances, how to put the gospel on display in Philippi in the 60s so that we can glean from that how to put on the gospel on display in Pampa in the 20s for the good of our community and for the glory of God. Church, let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity um, to, to, to dive into your word, to spend more time in scripture. God, we pray that you have something for us in Philippians. God, that you would open our eyes to, to better understand. God, that we would see with clarity the good news that, that you save sinners. 
God, that we would be quick to share that story. That it's not about cleaning ourselves up. It's not about making ourselves right or making ourselves holy. But it is about coming to you, trusting you, and being made holy and right in your, in your image. Because of your life, your death, and your resurrection. God, we want to be um, the gospel on display in Pampa, in Borger, Miami, Lord, in Groom, all the cities around us. God, we want to be a people who love and trust and follow you. And God, we confess um, that we don't feel um, like we always have peace, that we don't always feel like we're at ease. God, that we don't always feel like we're a saint. And so, Father, would you do a work in us individually to, to grow us, to mature us? God, would you rescue those who don't know you? And, Father, as a church, would we lock arms pursuing you for as long as you would give us? That the city of Pampa and the, the people of the Panhandle would glorify you because the light is shining forth. That there is hope and there is peace in this world and it is found in the person, the work the life of Jesus. God, we want to honor you. God, would we sing with voices and hearts in harmony. Lord, singing true things about you. God, thank you that they're not bouncing off the walls. God, they're not just for our good, but they are being heard by the living King of the universe this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.